Read Smart, the Bailey Gifford Prize for Nonfiction podcast. This podcast is generously supported by the Blavatnik Family Foundation. Hello and welcome to Read Smart, the official Bailey Gifford Prize for Nonfiction podcast with me, Razia Iqbal. Now, in the lead up to the winner announcement on the 24th of November, we are hearing about Black Spartacus today, the epic life of Toussaint Louverture by Sudhir Hazira Singh. It's the third week of our special shortlist celebration. Black Spartacus is a new interpretation of the life of the Haitian revolutionary Toussaint Louverture, employing groundbreaking archival research and a keen interpretive lens. Sudhir Hazira Singh restores Toussaint to his full complexity in this new biography. Prize director Toby Mundy recently caught up with Sudhir Hazira Singh from his home in Oxford. They discuss how Sudhir came to write this biography and the lengthy process of compiling this worldwide archival research on the Haitian Revolution and Toussaint Louverture. I'll hand over and let you listen to that conversation now. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Bailey Gifford Prize Conversations. I'm delighted to welcome as our guest uh, today, Sudhir Hazara Singh, distinguished historian, uh, university professor in politics, and tutorial fellow in politics at uh, Balliol College, Oxford, who's joining us to talk about his book, Black Spartacus, the epic life of Toussaint Louverture. Uh, Sudhir, welcome and congratulations. Thank you very much, Toby. It's very nice to be with you. And where in the world are you right now? Uh, I'm in Oxford uh, at home. Um, and as you know, we li- we're leading these kind of online existences at the moment. And so um, but I've just come back from uh, a week away. So I feel refreshed. Thank you for joining us. It's, this is a, a remarkable and acclaimed book. Um, tell us a little bit about the subject of your book and, and also how you came to find yourself writing about him, because you had previously not really written very much in, in the area of colonial history. It'd be very interesting to find out how you came to your subject. Thank you. Well, um, I've spent all my uh, academic life uh, reading and researching French history. So I knew a lot about um, the history of French. And, and when you study the history of France, you naturally study the history of revolutions. So the two things go together, as it were. So I'd spend a lot of my uh, time reading about revolutions, including obviously the French revolutions. Um, and I've also spent a lot of time reading and writing about uh, great leaders. So people like de Gaulle, people like Napoleon, um, people who are leaders in the kind of French Republican tradition. So those two things uh, separately but independently took me to uh, the Haitian Revolution, which is a revolution, but uh, one which is not uh, directly uh, 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 in the French experience, as it were. It was a, a revolution that was part of a, a uh, located in, uh, in, in, in what was uh, the colony of Saint-Domingue, uh, which then became the independent state of Haiti, and Saint-Domingue was a French colony. And in the course of reading about this, uh, this in- incredible series of events, the, the Haitian Revolution starts in 1791 and finishes in 1804 with the proclamation of the independent state of Haiti. So in the course of reading about this revolution, I found this remarkable figure called Toussaint Louverture, about whom I knew nothing uh, initially. And when I started to read about him, I thought he would just be a wonderful complement and addition to my sort of great hero theories. Uh, And I was very fortunate as well in that in the French archives, there is a massive collection of documents, uh, many of which were written by Toussaint himself. 
I, well, I, want, I want to come back to your sources a, a, a bit later, if, if I may. But tell us, tell us who this man is. Tell us about, give us a, give us, a, give us a sense of his life or his early. Well, he was born. Uh, well, one of the, one of the many mysteries about him is we don't know exactly when he was born. We, we, sometime around 1740, 42, 43. Uh, he grew. He was born from uh, parents who were enslaved. He grew up on a sugar plantation. Uh, in, in the north of Saint-Domingue. And from a very early age, he was recognized as someone with very special talents. So he was noticed by the plantation hierarchy. Very quickly, he rose in the ranks and while still a slave, was hired by the slave, by the plantation manager to become in effect his deputy, which was something quite remarkable. Um, and from, from that moment on, from the 770s, 1770s on, he rises to become a, a, a significant figure in the plantation hierarchy. And we don't know much about his life before 1791, before the, the, the Haitian Revolution starts. Uh, he, he leads a, a, a silent but no doubt well-filled existence. Um, and I have to, in the early cha chapters in the book, I have to try and guess a little bit um, what, his, what he was up to. But from 1791 onwards, once the revolution starts, he immediately joins it and rapidly becomes one of the leaders of, um, of the slaves uh, uh, who are fighting to uh, gain their freedom after 1791. And what, what were the conditions in Haiti in, in, the, in the period, in the pre-revolutionary period? What was this world like? So Haiti was known, or Saint-Domingue, as it was known before it became Haiti, was known as the Pearl of the Antilles. Um, it was one of the, if not the most profitable colony uh, in the world. It produced uh, sugar, coffee, cocoa, uh, indigo, um, so very wealthy, but that entire wealth was based on slavery. The population of Saint-Domingue was roughly 30,000 uh, European settlers, 30,000 uh, mixed-race uh, people, and 500,000 slaves. So the entire uh, economy uh, of the island was rested on, on slavery. And uh, it was one of the largest slave populations in the world as well at the time. And, uh, and a very tiny proportion of them uh, were free in 1791. That's, I mean, probably less than 1%. So what happens is that when the French Revolution begins in 1789, of course, everybody talks about freedom and the, the right of peoples to freedom. But one of the things the French Revolution does not do is grant freedom to, uh, to the enslaved populations in the French colonies. So the slaves wait for the principles of liberty, equality, and fraternity to be applied to them. And when they're not, two years later, they decide to uh, fight to actually gain them. And, and so by, in 1791, how old is Toussaint at this point? And what, what, what well, roughly, I know you don't know exactly, but he's in his, he's in his 40s. He's in his early 50s, probably, at that point. Okay. So he's lived, uh, he's lived actually the major part of his life. I mean, he only has another 10, 11 years to live. Um, and, it's, and, 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 and most of the book is really about those last um, 11, 12 years of his life, from the moment he becomes a public figure, 
Um, and his his career basically goes in stages. Uh, he becomes first, first of all, when there's a slave uprising, um, there is no uh, single um, uh, recognized figure who uh, is uh, is the leader, as it were. So Toussaint, within a matter of years, become establishes himself again because he has these uh, exceptional qualities, uh, both military and political. So he emerges very quickly by 1794, 1795 as the leader of the slaves. And then he rises in the ranks of the French um, political and military hierarchy. He becomes a general in the French Republican army um, by the mid 1790s. Uh, and alongside this military career, and, and, and I spend a lot of the book describing his military exploits, uh, he's also a, a very skilled uh, administrator. And in the second half of the 1790s, you see him also increasingly take control of the administration of the colony, even though there is in effect a French colonial governor who is in position. But Toussaint is very canny and very wily, and he kind of maneuvers his way. Uh, and I, I spent quite a lot of the second half of the book detailing this. He, he kind of outflanks the, the people who are supposedly in charge. and. Um, you know, uh, with some kind of um, very high-handed maneuvers, either gets them to go back to France, or in, in the case of the last uh, colonial governor, um, he basically puts him under house arrest. Wow. And, and you, you're kind of going to read a section, because I think that you've identified a section in which we can hear hear his voice, I think, as well. Would you, would well, you just... one of the things which is, which is wonderful about uh, the material I found was that it contained uh, a lot of his letters, uh, a lot of his reports, and a lot of his speeches. Mm. And this speech is one that he gave in 1798 after uh, a, the coastal town of Mont Saint-Nicolas was liberated from British occupation. So Toussaint arrives, um, gathers the population. He was a big speech giver in general. Uh, so he arrives, gathers the population, and then delivers the speech. And this is how I uh, analyze it in, in the book. And, uh, and this is a chapter in which I'm talking about uh, the different ways in which he had uh, uh, support in local communities. So alongside Toussaint's Masonic, charitable, and religious networks, Toussaint's support relied heavily on municipal institutions, which he described as representatives of the common good, guardians of the constitution and of the law, and guarantors of wisdom, prudence, and tranquility. He took advantage of municipal ceremonies directly to address local populations and outline his hopes for Saint-Domingue's social and economic regeneration. One such gathering took place on the outskirts of the northwestern coastal town of Mole Saint-Nicolas in October 1798. The inhabitants had just been liberated from British rule after the armistice negotiated by Toussaint, and he used the occasion to, prom, to plant a tree of liberty. He constructed his entire dedication speech around the tree, a rhetorical gambit which also enabled him to pepper his intervention with allusions to the vaudou god of Grand Bois, which means great wood, the guardian spirit of the sacred forest. So for Toussaint, the sacred sapling of Mont Saint-Nicolas represented the accession of men and women of all ages, occupations, and colors to what he called the beautiful title of citizen. Equating Frenchness with liberty, Toussaint further reminded his audience that liberation from British rule had brought them emancipation from the bonds of slavery. 
He played a, he paid a glowing tribute to his soldiers, many of whom were in attendance from the nearby garrison for their valiance and intrepidity in this heroic struggle. But this was no time for empty triumphalism and Toussaint pointedly reminded his fighters that he expected them to be like him, bearers of the virtues of abnegation and selflessness. Nor were they to expect material rewards for their successes on the battlefield, but rather the generous satisfaction of seeing the former slaves of Mont Saint-Nicolas as free men and women safely gathered around the Tree of Liberty. At the same time, the freedom symbolized by the Tree of Liberty was not just about the enjoyment of rights, but also the assumption of responsibilities. Those who had been part of the old order in town, the militia members who had fought for the occupying forces or the planters and merchants who had worked with the British and even had perhaps been involved in the buying and selling of slaves, had a duty to, I quote, repent genuinely for their past errors and sincerely pledge to follow the righteous path of Republican virtue. This included all the French nationals who had been denounced as émigrés by the Republican authorities and who were generously granted an amnesty by Toussaint. Indeed, the time for disunity was over. Appealing to the ideals of concord and fraternity, Toussaint invited these new French citizens to be, and I quote, to be of one heart, one soul, and to bury forever at the foot of this sacred tree, the symbol of freedom, all our ancient divisions. That's wonderful, thank you. So how, how did, um... How did Toussaint develop all of these various skills? Did he, do, we, do we have any idea how he came to uh, be, be so accomplished in so many different ways? Well, I think it comes, first of all, just from um, the wonderful talent that he has. Uh, and the talent that he has is one which I think is, um, it, it's, a very, it's a very distinct skill that you find in all great leaders which is an ability to do two things, I think. One is to assimilate everything in your environment and use it for the purposes that you want. And that's, that's always the case with Toussaint. You see that he draws on um, African spirituality, um, Caribbean uh, history and practices, uh, European enlightenment ideas. Um, so he has this capacity almost to kind of hoover up uh, all sorts of ideas that he finds interesting. Uh, and then put them, put them to good use. So that's one thing that, that he has a very, very uh, uh, distinct skill at doing. Mm. And the other is that he's constantly working to create um, elements or moments uh, of freedom from within a structure of oppression. Um, that's the, the hallmark, I think, of a true revolutionary. In other words, when we think of uh, what it means to be a revolutionary, we often think that a revolution is just kind of one moment where you just break your chains and then you're free. But actually, in most revolutions, it doesn't happen like that. What you need to do is very slowly build up um, the capacity uh, to, for liberation. And that's really what's extraordinary about Toussaint. And, and that's what I detail in the book. You see him move in, in, in very careful uh, uh, stages um, and that requires both tactical and strategic intelligence. And, those, and, that, and that's something that he has, uh, as it were, in spades. Yes, yeah, incredible. Tell us a little bit about how you, how you, how you did your research 
Um, you, you said you started from a point of, I'm sure it's not entirely true, but knowing very little, you said, you said knowing nothing, but I'm sure that's not quite the case, but you, you started knowing very little. And so what does, how do you begin? What do you do? <laughs> well, um, I mean, just one thing about the knowing very little. Part of the reason I know very little is that actually in the way that the French tell their own history, the figure of Toussaint and the experience of the Haitian Revolution has been uh, very largely erased. Uh, since the book has, has come out, uh, and in fact, uh, the French version has come out at the same time, I've been in touch with a wonderful institution in France called the Foundation for um, uh, the Memory of Slavery, uh, which is based, uh, which, which is led by the former Prime Minister Jean-Marc Ayrault. And they've just done a survey of what is taught in French schools, prim pr primary and secondary schools. And it turns out, if you, if you can believe it, that the French, French school children no longer learn about the Haitian Revolution. Mm -hmm. So even when they study the French Revolution, they only study what happens on mainland France, whereas you know, obviously one can't really understand the, the significance of the French Revolution without looking at uh, what's happening elsewhere. Mm -hmm. So my, my ignorance, as it were, comes from impeccable sources, <laughs> the ignorance which is shared with uh, all the French people. And that's why we felt that I had to bring the story back to life. So I don't I mean, doubt it. But then, presumably there was a moment where you realized that the book was viable in a funny, in a sort of way. Was there, a, or there must have been a period of maybe days or weeks or months where you suddenly thought, my God, I've got enough here. There's enough to do this. Well, the, the decisive moment was um, the archives. So yes. when I went, uh, I mean, I, I've worked a lot in French archives, so, so I, I knew the kind of lay of the land. But uh, once I discovered this enormous treasure, and then there's no other way of describing it, um, thousands of documents, um, many of which had not been used by French, even by French historians, uh, I realized that there was massive information here and, and enough not just to write a book about the, the Haitian Revolution, because there have been, there've been lots of books about, uh, uh, about, about uh, the events in, in, in Saint-Domingue and then Haiti over the last 20 years or so, but enough to write a biography. Because as you know, the, the amount of material you need for a biography is great because you want to try and, you have to stay as close as possible to your subject. Yeah. Um, and if possible, know how he's feeling, how he, what he's thinking, uh, uh, pretty much on a, on, on a daily basis, if possible. And the quality of the archive is so rich. Um, I, I mean, I had to spend quite a lot of time putting it all together because it's not, it's not all uh, in one place. Uh, it, it's, it's scattered around in different parts of France. And I also used archives in America, in Spain and in Britain. So it's, it's archives in at least four different countries. Uh, but once I had all of that material, I knew that this, was, that, that this was not only a viable project, but this is already quite a long book, but it could easily have been twice as long because there's, there, there are lots of things that I wasn't able to uh, uh, go into in, in, in great detail. I could talk to you all day about this, but I think we're almost out of time. Can, I, can you just tell us a little bit about how the, the, the sort of tragic end to the story, if you like? I mean about uh, Toussaint's ultimate fate at the hands of the French. So yes, so by, by 1800, 1801, he, Toussaint knows that the French are gonna come and attack Saint-Domingue and try and re-enslave his people. So he, he prepares, uh, he prepares them for, to, to defend themselves. Uh, and so when the French do arrive in early 1802 and, and, and it's Napoleon who sends uh, an invading army to, to basically uh, re-enslave the, 
the population of Saint-Domingue, he starts the movement of resistance and, uh, and fights very gallantly uh, uh, and fights the French basically to a stalemate um, after a few months. The French aren't able to, to defeat the, the local resistance forces. And he signs with the local French uh, 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 commanders what he believes to be an honorable truce. But the French, of course, are very devious and uh, they ensnare him in, in a trap, capture him and immediately deport him to a French jail um, where he spends the last year of his life and dies. But, but his lieutenants continue the struggle and two years later they defeat the French and um, um, the, the, the independent state of Haiti is born. So Toussaint by then uh, is already, has already died, but you, one, one can, and, and this is what I argue in the book, one should argue that the, uh, the creation of the first independent black state is very much uh, 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 part of the, the legacy of Toussaint Louverture. That was absolutely fascinating. Congratulations again on this extraordinary book and thank you so much for telling us about it now. Thank you so much, Toby, for having me. That's all we have time for today in this special mini edition of Read Smart. Thanks to Toby and Sudhir for that fascinating discussion. Now, to keep up to date with our shortlist celebration in the lead up to the winner announcement on the 24th of November, do follow at BG Prize on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You can also tune into our weekly watch parties every Wednesday at 5pm featuring further interviews with the authors, experts and, of course, the judges. We'll be back next week for a special conversation with Christina Lamb, author of Our Bodies, Their Battlefield, What War Does to Women. Thanks also to the Blavatnik Family Foundation for their ongoing support of this podcast. Bye for now. Read Smart, the Bailey Gifford Prize for Nonfiction podcast. This podcast is generously supported by the Blavatnik Family Foundation.